0: Thanks for checking out this message from River Valley Church in Boise, Idaho. We hope that it encourages you and inspires you. For more messages like this, make sure to check out our podcast. And for more content from River Valley, go to our website, rivervalleyboise.com. Enjoy this message. I want to jump right into the message that God has really been kind of stirring in our heart as a church family. We've been talking about really three spaces of our life that we see Jesus model when it comes to relationships. And we, we, we've been talking about this now for about six weeks and we, we've we transitioned into the middle phase of this. We talked about our up relationship with God and just building that and growing that. We'll talk a teeny bit about that today. But what we've been focusing on the last few weeks is the space of in relationships. So the relationships that are around us, the people that we're doing life with, our family and and our church family and those that, that we find connection with in the mission that we're on in life. And we're gonna spend some time just continuing to, to unpack that a little bit for us as a church community, so that we can have some good context and language around what it means to be in community, what it means to be a part of the family of God. And so we've been talking about this word "in" and what it means to to open up our homes and our lives to the relationships that are around us. and And a couple of weeks ago, our students were up at winter retreat, and I, I taught you on a message. And, and, and kind of gave you some background on this terminology called family on mission. And we, we began to discuss this word family. How many of you know that family has a very different meanings for all of us? Anybody with me on that? And we have some general cultural sense of what family means. And in our Western culture, I shared this with, with you last time. In our Western culture, we've kind of got a broken sense of what family looks like. We have a very Western mentality of, of this reality that, that family is just the people that are blood relationships with us and sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes it's not a very good thing, right? That we've, we've, we recognize that our journey in, in life and, and, and oftentimes for most of us with our families has its ups and its downs when we're talking about our nuclear family, the families that we have have genetic similarities to maybe or that we grew up with, Okay. But we also have discovered a little bit that the the reality of what Jesus calls family might look a little bit different than that. And as a reminder, we are a part of a new kingdom. We're a part of a new family. And so we're learning what the kingdom of God looks like and what the family of God looks like. And and it was a little bit easier for the the Middle Eastern cultures to understand this concept. Because when when they used the word family, it wasn't like the way that we use family. When they talked about family, they used a word called oikos, and this word oikos is a is a word that is it's actually a Greek word, um, but it describes something very different than just the people that you grew up maybe in, in your home with or that you're in blood relationship. This word oikos actually just means household, and in in. Middle Eastern culture and the culture that, that Jesus grew up in and the disciples grew up in, their, their oikos, their, their community, their family was not just their, their blood relatives, but it was the people that they actually walked with and did life with. And we, we talked a little bit about why that's significant because of, of the teachings of the Bible. When we, when we look throughout the New Testament, we see a, a lot kind of floating around this space of family. We see a lot of terminology around family. And so we as followers of Jesus need to understand that well. So that as we read scripture and as we engage in relationship with each other. We understand what the heart of God is in family. We understand what the heart of God is in are in-relationships. And so today I just want to peel that back a little bit more for us and we've got another week that we're going to continue to kind of walk through this space of our in-relationships uh, but, but I want to help us to, to understand today that as we look at oikos and as we look at family that there's some key components to what makes family healthy. There's some key components to the things that are contributed into the space of family. And, and, I, and I wrote down this statement. I just want to share it with you this morning. That God is not building an organization. He's building a family. And we see the intent of God in that from the beginning of time. If God was building an organization, he would have established very clearly the hierarchy of CEOs and business structures and business models. And I'm not saying that we don't need organization in the body of Christ. Amen? But what I'm saying is God's primary goal was not to build an organization. It was to build a family. And so if we understand that fundamentally in our hearts, then we don't approach church and church life together, and family life together from the perspective of, of an organization. In other words, those guys over there are going to take care of those things, and we're going to take care of these things. And no, 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 we, we approach it from a family that just says, hey, we're in this together, and we need one another, right? That, I, I, I want to say this boldly to some of you in this room, that you're irreplaceable in this family. Organizationally, you just fire them and get a new person, right? I mean, come on, let's be real. Like, organizationally, we just want the person that's going to do the best job with the least amount of whining for the least amount of money. Come on, people, I worked in the... You're all looking at me like I'm weird. That's what organizations produce. And that's what organizations are looking for. They're looking for an outcome from the work of our lives. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's just not the body of Christ. That's not the church. That's not the kingdom of God. We are built by God to be family together. So that requires of us to learn some new relational dynamics with each other. If you don't perform in an organizational space, we sit down and we have a conversation. Here's the expectations. If you don't want to do them, there's the door. Anybody with me? In a family, we don't get to do that. In a family, we get to sit down and talk and communicate and build relationship. We get to learn from those who've gone before us and we get to experience life together and we go through the ups and the downs, willfully choosing to be a part of a family that sometimes we don't like at all, but we're choosing to walk in relationship with. See, this is is why many people get confused about the church because they have the mindset of organization and not the mindset of family. And church, if we're going to move forward in life and all the things that God's called us to do, we need to align ourselves with the kingdom principle of family, not the kingdom principle of organization. Okay? And so so what we're trying to do is have some moments for us as a church family that the way that we think is being transformed by the truth of God's word. We talk about this a lot around here. That word is called metanoia. It's your mind. It's changing your mind or changing the way that you think about the way that you think in life. And for many of us, as we've entered into relationship in the body of Christ, and, and as we've begun to learn the principles of God's word, how many of you have had to change your mind about some things? And that's just the reality of this growth space that we're in. And can I just tell you, that's a wonderful thing. To grow and to change and to experience that in our life. And this place of family is one of those things that, that we've got some work to do in, in understanding the culture the feel of the body of Christ, of the family of God. Because God has very intentional design in how we walk and function together. So let me, let me give you this here real quick. That, that this word oikos... When we talk about family on mission, when we talk about being together in this journey, I want to give you three things. And I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and then we're going to unpack one of them today. Three things that really need to be in place for us to be an oikos, a family on mission, to have purpose to what we're doing. These three things, spiritual parenting. So people that we're learning from and growing from and experiencing that kind of growth in our life. Predictable patterns in our family, in other words, the things that we do that help us to have rhythms that are healthy in our life, which is completely contrary to everything that American culture teaches us. And the third thing that we need is missional purpose. So when we, when we think about a family on mission, when we think about what it looks like in the kingdom of God for us to be living out in the full potential the things that God has put into our lives, these are the things that are going to help us to grow and develop That Spiritual parenting, predictable patterns, and missional purpose. Now, I know this is like, wow, that's, that's, that's cool. That's great. Where, where did you come up with that? Let me help you. A guy named Jesus. This is what Jesus did and modeled to us when he was building a family on mission when Jesus was walking the earth. He, he showed us this, this beautiful space of parenting and leading and equipping and, and helping the next generation. And those that are coming new into the family of God to learn how to grow. He put predictable patterns in their life. He taught them how to pray and how to worship. He taught them how to be in community together. He taught them all these really beautiful spaces of how to interact with each other. And then he gave them missional purpose. He put a calling upon their life that was bigger than just themselves. And so we want to explore this space a little bit so that we as a church family can learn how to be a family on mission, how to walk together in that space and let let the Word of God challenge and teach us to grow. You guys with me this morning? And so I want to take a look at one of these spaces here, and we're just going to look at the, the first one here of spiritual parenting. And I know that can kind of be a little bit of strange terminology, but, but let, me, let me unpack this for you a little bit. And I talked about it a couple of weeks ago, that this concept of spiritual parenting is not like, uh, well, uh, this concept of spiritual parenting is an idea or a thought that came out of culture that helps us to interpret what God desires for us what God longs for for us to experience in our lives and we see in Scripture and I shared this with you last time out of First Corinthians when Paul was talking to the Corinthian church. And he spoke to them and he, and he talked to them and he expressed to them this, this idea that he was their father and that he had, had had birthed them into the kingdom of God. And he'd given them opportunity to understand the goodness of God in their life. And and he and he he talked to them like a father would to his kids, like expressing his love for them and demonstrating for that. And he, he talked about a, a young man named Timothy who Who he'd really birthed into the kingdom of God. And he called Timothy his son. And he gives us all of this verbiage around family. Which seems weird to us. Because Paul's talking to a church. A group of people that most of the time we would say. Well why didn't he just say. Hey I discipled you. And I'm I'm helping you to learn how to follow Jesus. And, and, And the reason for that was. Was because Paul was trying to communicate to them. An idea or a thought about the kingdom of God. In terminology that they would understand. So if Paul would have been speaking to Jewish people, he would have looked at them and said, I'm your rabbi. I'm the one that's going to teach you and equip you and prepare you. Come follow me and I'm going to show you how to do this Jesus thing. If Paul was talking to Jews, that's how he would have communicated with them. But Paul was talking to a Greek people and really the majority of the New Testament was written for Greek people or or non-Jewish people to understand the kingdom of God. So they began to use this terminology... About family. And Paul knew this very well because he knew the Greek culture very well. And the Greek culture put extreme value on this place of the relationship between parents and their children. And I, I shared with the, you guys a couple weeks ago that until a, a child got to the age of 12, they were actually sitting under the tutelage of a teacher. Somebody that was kind of just teaching them how to, how to get the basics of life going. But once they turned 12, they had a ceremony where they brought that son or that daughter and stood them behind, or beside their mom or dad. And from that point in time on, that child went with that parent everywhere they went. Business meetings, all kinds of social events, and all of these things. So that 12-year-old could grow up and learn from the example of their parent on how to do life. And Paul was speaking to the Corinthian church and saying, that's me to you. You're coming alongside of me now and I'm drawing along you alongside of me now. As a spiritual parent, I'm going to teach you how to do this thing called following Jesus. I'm going to teach you what it means to be a part of the family of God. And so Paul just put it in very practical terms for them to connect with this. And so he was spiritually parenting them. He was teaching them about the concepts and ideas of the kingdom of God. We typically, in our church culture, would call that discipleship. Paul called it spiritual parenting. And again, the reason for that was, was because he was trying to communicate in a way that the people that he was talking to would understand what he was saying. Prior to that time, in fact, if you want to go into your Bibles, prior to Acts 21, everything that we see, Jesus teaching the disciples all throughout the Gospels, if you join us on this journey this spring, you'll see it. If you see Jesus teaching the, the, the disciples and you see the early start of the church, they used the word disciple constantly. In fact, Jesus instructed church people like us, his disciples, to go and make disciples of all people. Anybody remember that space? Yeah. So that was the terminology that was used. And then Paul took that terminology and put it into a context that people could understand. Are you guys with me this morning? And so when we talk about spiritual parenting, really what we're talking about is growing in our ability to walk with one another in discipleship. And there's some really key components to being able to do that, that help each of us to understand what is the journey that we take in both spiritually parenting and being parented. In other words, for every one of our lives and our journey, there are seasons of time where we are the, the child or the student learning and growing and somebody's mentoring us and taking us under their arm and, and explaining things to us because we're seeing it for the first time maybe in our life. And, and oftentimes when we get in the Christian world, we're like, I'm not stupid. I'm an adult. I can understand. Like We get all offended by this fact where somebody's coming along and just trying to explain to you the principles of the kingdom of God because we need some help. I remember as a young man growing up, my grandpa I lived on a farm with my, our, our family, and my grandpa and grandma lived out there with us. And I remember constantly being around my grandpa, whether it was in the the shop or we were out doing stuff on the farm. And I was always right beside him. And I probably asked him this question a billion times: "Grandpa, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Anybody ever been around, a kid? Why are you doing that? Why? Right? There's this. There's this in." thing inside of a child to learn and to grow and they're seeing somebody who does it well and they're they're processing through that like how did how did grandpa know how to do that grandpa knew how to do that because he's done it a thousand times and so what he did was he brought me alongside and much to his probably pain and agony taught me day in and day out how to do the simple things of life that were very easy for him because he'd done it a million times, but for me, it was a brand new thing that I was learning. Can I just tell you, that's, in essence, that's what discipleship is in our life. It's where people who have gone before you in this journey of faith have experienced some truths from the Word of God that they've learned, and they've grown in, and they, they, they've, they've cultivated this space of their life, and, it, and, and, and in them, it's very second nature to them. For others of us who are maybe learning in that particular space or, or learning about what it means to be a part of the family of God, there, a lot of this is very new. And so we're trying to process through these things. Maybe you come from a, a, another theological background in your life. Maybe you've been around the church for a little while, but you don't worship like we worship. And so you're like, why do you do that? Why do we clap? Why do we sing? Why do we dance? Why do we shout? Because we're weird? Maybe. But in all honesty, it's because we see it in Scripture. And so how we learn and how we grow is that we have some spiritual parents that come alongside of us and say, Hey, I want to take you on a journey. I want to help you grow. I want to help you understand this thing. So in this spiritual parenting space, there's really three aspects to it that help us to learn and grow. And here, here's the three things that are taking place inside of this environment of spiritual parenting. I'll just, can I just challenge you guys? That, that when you come to church, um, bring your Bible. Okay, there we go. Bring your Bible and maybe bring a notebook or something. Take some notes on your phone. Students, I watched you guys while you guys were up at winter retreat and all of you had your Bible, a pen, and a notebook. And the reason for that is, is because we're not just here to dispense information to you. You can get information anywhere shoot, we live in 2022. You can just go to your computer, click on Google and say, give me some information about whatever. We're here because we want God to do a transformative work in our hearts. And so I just want to encourage you when you come, man, everybody's looking like I'm shaming you. I'm not shaming you. Chill out, people. I just want to encourage you in your growth, right? So bring a notebook, something to write down, a few of the points that you can go back and and maybe tomorrow morning, this would be crazy. Like, Absolutely crazy. But you could actually go back and look at the things that were talked or taught about today. And you say, God, what do you, what do you want to teach me in that this week? Right? So I just want to encourage you to, to do that. It, it'll help you retain some of the things that God might be trying to speak into your heart. That was a segue. My bad. We're going to move right back into the message now. So the three things that, that help us understand spiritual parenting and the purpose of it. Number one, to cultivate spiritual character in your life. Spiritual parenting is to be part of your life, first and foremost, to help you develop spiritual character. We'll talk about that here in a second. Second thing, to submit to God's way. Ooh, I don't like that one, Tim. Can we skip over that one? Nope, it's the one we're going to spend the most amount of time on. (laughs) Come on. And the third thing, to learn how to sacrifice your personal desires. Now, how many of you know that the experience of parenting is typically trying to help your children get over themselves and learn how to be a part of a family? Okay, maybe we don't parent in the same environments. But parenting is really a challenging space because what you're doing is you're helping a child learn how to submit their will to something that's bigger and greater than themselves. If not, then all you're raising is a selfish person that nobody wants to be around and will never find success in life when it comes to jobs or relationships or all those things. Come on, parents, are you with me in the room today? That's the reality of parents. So we're we're helping these little people learn how To be a part of something that's bigger than them. And yes, to develop the gifts in their life and to encourage them, to teach and equip them. But really a lot of the things that we're doing is we're teaching them how to get over themselves. And to create space in their life for other people. Because by nature, we are selfish. If you don't believe me, walk back into children's ministries right now. I guarantee you the greatest work that is taking place back there is our children's ministries team trying to keep those kids from killing each other. Come on. If you don't know that, you need to go spend some time in children's ministries, right? Yes, we're teaching them about Jesus and his love for them, but mostly we're just keeping them from killing each other, okay? And so when you think about that and you think about even us in our spiritual life and our growth and development as followers of Jesus... The greatest work that's typically taking place inside of us is God's trying to help us to get over us. He's trying to teach us how to live in a kingdom that is others-minded. Because we live in a world that is me-focused. And so when we think about this spiritual parenting space, that's a lot of what's taking place inside of it. Cultivating spiritual character is just exactly what I was sharing with you a few minutes ago. It's a parent coming alongside it. somebody who's who's a little bit further down the road of their faith journey. That's coming alongside of you and saying, hey, let, let me help you. We're going to grow the character space of your life. We're going to learn how to abide. We're going to be in John 15 together. I'm going to teach you how to walk in relationship with Jesus. I'm going to teach you how, how to surrender to the work that he's doing in your life. I'm going to teach you how to not just think about you, but to think about the people that you're around. And it's this process of the growth of our character, that we would grow in the character and competency of Christ in our life. That, he, that people, as they see our lives, they would see development in our character. You guys with me on that one? And you, here's the reality, you need some people to help you do that. Why? Because you need somebody who's going to be honest with you. They're going to look you in the face and say, hey, the way that you just talked to so-and-so was really rude. So let's, let's work on that together. Hey, the way that you're handling these circumstances of your life, how many of you know you need some people around you who love you enough to say something to you about that? Parents, we are not doing our children any favors if we just let them do whatever they want in life. If they're rude to people, if they're talking back to you, if they're ungrateful. Can I just tell you you're not parenting if you're not taking time to develop the character of your child? When it comes to our spiritual growth and development, we need some people that are going to help us in that journey. And that's that's what it means to be a part of being family on mission. Is that we take on the responsibility of coming along uh, alongside of other people and helping them grow in their character in Christ. That doesn't mean we're sitting there pointing at each other's flaws and, and making each other feel bad. It just simply means that we've given each other space in our lives to come alongside of us and to help us grow in the character that God's trying to develop in us. That's part of spiritual parenting. The second space of this is submitting to God's way. This, this is a challenging one for us. Um, but I just want to remind you we are following Jesus. Everybody with me? We're following Jesus, and Jesus actually modeled this beautifully to us. Jesus actually submitted his will to who? The will of the Father. In fact, repeatedly, over and over and over again, we hear these words out of Jesus describing how he responded to to the will of the Father in his life. So Jesus would go spend time with the Father in prayer, just communion together. And then from that place, Jesus would go do the things that the Father was speaking to him. Jesus was submitting his will to the will of the Father. Even up until the very last moments of Jesus's life, where Jesus in himself was saying, mm, I don't really want to go die on the cross. And I know that was very sarcastic. So let me try that again. I think Jesus was actually really broken hearted about what he was about ready to experience on the cross. I think he knew the pain that he was about ready to face. I think he knew just in his humanness of what was about ready to happen. And I think part of him just in that moment said, Dad, I would really like to not do this. And we see Jesus expressing those exact words to the Father, right? If, if, if you can take this cup from me, in other words, if, if somebody else could do this if, this, if we don't have to go this route, Father, that would be great. But then he said the most powerful words for us to learn from. He said, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. This is the place of spiritual parenting where we we learn how to submit our will to the will of the Father. We learn how to say, God, I'm going to trust your way in this. It's better. I may not see that it's better right now, God, but I'm trusting that your way is better. Jesus looking at the cross In that moment, understood very clearly this was not going to be a very fun day for him. But the Bible tells us that despite that, for the joy that was set before him, he could look through the cross and see us on the other side. And for that joy, he was willing to submit his will to the will of the Father and go through all of that for you and me. And so he set an example for us of what it means to be a follower of him. He set an example for us of what it means to submit to the will of the Father. Even when our will is going, no, I don't want to do this. I can't tell you how many times with my own children that we had to process through these moments, right? Hey, Carter, I want you to do this. I don't want to do that, Dad. I understand that very clearly, son. Not that Carter would ever say anything like that. And Jesus gave us this really cool picture of this in Matthew chapter 21. He tells this weird parable that everybody oftentimes we read and they're like, that's such a weird story. But it's, it's, about, it's about a father and he's asking his sons to go do some work for him in the field. Anybody ever ask your kids to take the garbage out? That's this story right here. Jesus didn't just use the garbage. He's just saying, he asked his two sons, hey, would you go out in the field and do some work? And one of the sons said, God, father, I don't want to do that. I want to sleep in this morning. I want to hang out with my friends. Like that was just kind of this, this young man's, response. I don't want to do that. And then the other son said, I'll go do it. But then Jesus goes on to tell in the parable, this weirdness of what, what happened. Like the son that said that he didn't want to do it, ends up going out and working in the field. And the son that was like, oh, pick me dad. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. He, 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 he had verbally acknowledges to the father. I'll go out and work in the field. And what does he do? doesn't do it. Jesus is teaching a principle here of what it means to actually have a submitted heart. That even in the things that you don't want to do, if you're truly submitted to the will of the Father, you'll overcome your will and you'll walk in the will of the Father. It's a beautiful picture. And it's a beautiful invitation for us. Because the reality of this is is that it really doesn't matter what you say if your heart isn't aligned with what you're saying. A lot of us say, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want, to, I want to do that. I want to go to heaven. Anybody want to go to heaven? Okay, good choice. I want to go to heaven. And Jesus is saying, wonderful. Believe in me. Put your faith in me. Right? That's the invitation for us. Well, Jesus, I think you're a pretty good guy. But I just don't know that I believe that you really are who you say you are. I don't know that you can really do what you say you can do in my life. I, I don't know if I believe this whole Bible thing. So here, here's the reality of those moments. We're having to choose whether we're going to submit our will in that place. So I want to just make this declaration for you here just for a second. And, 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 and maybe it'll sink in for us a little bit. To be truly submitted means that you can share freely what you think. This is what this... this Illustration in Matthew 21 gives us that you can share freely what you think, but in the end you will follow the Father's instruction and desire. Notice that it doesn't show us in this parable that the son just like was silent and didn't say, he told his dad, Dad, I don't want to go out and work in the field today. How many of you have ever had an honest moment with God? God, I really don't want to do that. He's inviting you to to go and, and offer forgiveness to somebody. Hmm, God, they hurt me. I don't, I don't really want to do that. God's inviting you into a place of deeper relationship with him or relationship and community. You're like, you know that small group thing? God, I really don't want to do that. I don't know any of those people. They make me feel uncomfortable. And, and God's just saying, hey, I, I'm, I'm inviting you to experience something that you need in your life. And as your dad, I just want you to know I know better. So will you trust me in this moment? This is one of the, the, the fatal flaws that we see in Western Christianity. We want Jesus, but we just want him on our terms. We want the Bible because it has some really n- cool things to say in there. All these promises that we get and all this stuff. But we don't want the whole Bible. Because some of those things like offend me. Like they, they confront some of the selfish stuff in me. and I, I, Jesus is just love. So I, he just wouldn't do that to me anybody with me this morning? And so when it comes to this place of submitting to the will of the Father, this is a big deal in our lives of learning how to do that and learning how to do that in a healthy way. Many of us don't want to submit to to some of the leaders and the people that are around us that God's trying to help us to grow in life with because we've had a bad experience with a leader in our life. Because we've had somebody that's abused that space or maybe said something that was hurtful to me or overstepped some of their bounds and their authority in my life and, 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 it, and it hurt me. And so therefore now I just, I don't submit to anybody. And I, I just want to just bring you into some logic for a moment. How many of you have ever had a bad experience dining out? See, nobody wants to raise their hands because, oh, he's suckering us into this. Eh? We've all had a bad experience dying. How many of you ever had a mechanic that said they could fix something and didn't fix it? In fact, probably made it worse. I've got one of those sitting in my driveway right now. Come on, there, there's this reality that we, we, we have this weird mentality when it comes to learning and growing spiritually. That whoever we learn and grow from spiritually, these spiritual parents in our life, they have to be perfect. And if they're not perfect, then it justifies me not listening to anybody ever again. Here's the challenge. All of you have had a bad experience in restaurants, yet you still continue to go out and eat dinner. You may not go back to that restaurant, but you're still going to go out. We all have vehicles that need fixed that most of us don't have a clue how to fix nowadays because they're just a big computer. So we still take our cars to mechanics to fix them, even though we've had some bad experiences with some mechanics. Come on, you guys with me this morning? So why, when it comes to the body of Christ, why does it come to spiritual parents in our life, people that are going to help us grow, why do we expect out of them perfection... And when they make a mistake, it gives us license to not listen to anybody anymore about our spiritual walk. Now I'm meddling this morning in our lives. I'm not. I think the Holy Spirit's trying to remind us that, listen, this, this place of submission in our lives is to the work of God that he wants to do in us. And God always does beautiful work through the people that are around us. And here's the wonder of this. Those people are imperfect. And they're going to make mistakes. But that does not give me license to say, I just don't want to do it God's way anymore. I've got this spiritual journey walk thing covered. I can do it on my own. Church, I just I want to tell you, you will never grow spiritually in your life, nor will you ever actually mature to reproduction in your life. In other words, taking what God's put inside of you and helping somebody else to grow until you're willing to submit to God's way completely. Some of you are like, man, we should have stayed home this morning. This guy's mean. No, I love you. And I mean that genuinely. I love you. And I want you to grow in your relationship with God. This is spiritual parenting in our lives is when we have to hear some things sometimes that we really didn't want to hear, but it's right. I don't know how many things my parents told me growing up. They're sitting here right now. How many things they told me growing up that I completely ignored because I knew better than them. And now that I'm 40 some years old in life, um, I figured out they were actually right. They're actually right. And I wish that I would have learned that when I was 16 years old. That's part of spiritual parenting. It's part of walking with people in that journey. And so, as we look at this relationship that we have with Jesus, we just want our hearts to be aligned and healthy with it. The final thing is is sacrificing your personal desires. Spiritual parenting will model and teach sacrifice over position and recognition. How do we know that? Because Jesus showed us that. How do we know that? Because Paul and Peter the writers of the New Testament, the heroes that have gone before us in the faith, modeled to us what it looks like to sacrifice our personal desires for something bigger than us. Here's the reality of it. As Jesus walked with the disciples, they were imperfect in so many ways. And yet Jesus took them on a journey of learning how, by watching his life, how to sacrifice the the comforts of life for the mission of heaven. In fact, here's here's one of the things that I don't know if you think about very often, but Jesus when he invited his disciples to come and walk with him, he didn't promise them, "Hey, we've got this great facility that we're going to be staying at and and there's a hot tub there and it'll be really fun, guys. We're going to go out and do some hard work, but we always have a no the scripture actually tells us when, when the disciples, when he invited them, that the disciples were asking questions like, so what are we going to do? And where are we going to stay? And Jesus just looked at him and said, listen, the Son of Man has no place to even lay his head. We're going to be sleeping on the side of the road and using rocks for pillows. Yeah, sign me up. That sounds great. Let's do that. <laughs> right? Like, that is not the Christianity that we sell in America today. But Jesus very Clearly and boldly said that to the people that he invited to come follow him. Listen, I, I can't tell you where you're going to lay your head tonight. But here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to submit to the will of the Father. and We're going to sacrifice so that this mission that God has called us to can get out to the world. One of the greatest knuckleheads that we see in Scripture is a guy named Peter. Peter was the dude. He was the son that said, Oh, I'll go do it. I'll go work in the field. And then you find Peter off doing who knows what, right? Peter was just that guy. He was, he was full of like energy and excitement. And at the same moment, he was the guy that you wanted to strangle because he just didn't know how to ratchet it down a little bit. And towards the end of Jesus's journey in this life, they were having a meal together. And Peter... I or, Jesus identifies in Peter and says, hey, listen, Peter, here's the reality of what's going to happen to you in the next little bit here. You're going to deny me. And Peter freaks out. Like if you look at the emphaticness of, of the conversation that's taking place there, Peter literally gets angry at Jesus and says, nope, not me. The rest of these guys might, but not me, Jesus. I'll die for you. Not more than six hours later, Peter's standing by a campfire, watching Jesus get ready to get tried. And a little girl walks up to him and says, hey, I recognize you. Weren't you one of those guys that was hanging out with Jesus? And Peter, in all of his indignance, Peter, in all of his zeal to, to be the one that's going to die for Jesus, looks at the little girl and says, not me. I don't know what you're talking about. And that scene repeats three times for Peter denying Jesus in that moment. And all of us think in our minds, Peter, what is your problem? We see a man who was so full of passion, so I love Jesus. I'm going I'm I'm to die for you in a moment. Get shrunk into this quivering, uh, hiding, uh, completely abandoning the thing that he said he was all about. Because a girl came and said to him, a little girl came up and said to him, I think you were with that Jesus guy. And what it revealed was something that was going on inside of Peter's heart. And Here's the beauty of that story. We all, we all know how that story ends, right? Peter and all the disciples, Jesus gets crucified. He dies. The disciples don't know what to do, so they just go back to doing what they normally do. Peter's out fishing with the boys and they're doing this thing and they look on the shore and Jesus invites them to come and hang out with him. This is after he died, he rose again and he's inviting them to come have breakfast with him on the shore. What does Peter do? Anybody remember? He literally jumps out of the boat, full garb, they've been fishing all night, jumps out of the boat, swims to the shore to go spend time with Jesus. Like he still loves him. He's still passionate. And Jesus has the most incredible moment with Peter. And yet it's a moment that most of us misunderstand. We see this redemptive work of Jesus talking with Peter and saying, Peter, do you love me? And he says it three times and he uses kind of these three different words for love in this space. And and he's inviting Peter into this really beautiful moment. And most of us are like, oh man, that's just so like Jesus. Like he's just so loving. He's so redeeming. And he said it three times because Peter denied him three times. So he's canceling that out. It's just so poetic and it's just so cool. Like what a beautiful work that, that Jesus is doing with Peter. And yet we don't understand what Peter and Jesus were actually having in that moment. Because here's what Jesus actually invited Peter to. Peter said, if you love me, feed my sheep. And he invites Peter into the place of being a shepherd. Now let me help you with, understand what that means. In that culture, in that time, being a shepherd was the most lowly job you could have. It was the greatest sacrifice that you would give was to to be the one in the the fields with the sheep. You stunk, you smelt bad, nobody wanted to be around you. And so Jesus is looking at Peter in this moment that we oftentimes magnify into this, oh, look at the redemptive work of Jesus in Peter's life. No, what Jesus was doing was actually testing Peter's heart. And he looked at him in that broken space and he said, Peter, I'm inviting you to come And be a shepherd of my sheep. I'm inviting you into the lowliest. The most difficult. The most challenging space. Where you're not going to receive any recognition. And nobody cares that you're out there doing what you're doing. That was the understanding of what a shepherd. Think of of David. David was a shepherd boy. The last in his family. He was out in the field taking care of the sheep. And nobody even acknowledged him as a son in the house. When the prophet came to anoint a king. That was the role. The youngest brother, the littlest brother, got stuck out with the sheep. And this is what Jesus was actually inviting Peter to. Not to fame, not to recognition, but to sacrifice and to service. Jesus reinstated Peter not to the firstborn son's role of representing the father in all of his affairs, but to the youngest son's role of shepherd and leading. Testing the heart of a man who in one moment was saying, I would die for you, and in another moment was running away. And Jesus' work in his life was to invite him to embrace, listen to me, the kingdom mindset of what leadership and spiritual parenting looks like. It looks like sacrifice. It looks like service. It looks like a lack of recognition. You're just going to come alongside people and help them on their journey. And this was the invitation that Peter, or Jesus said to Peter, will you come and you feed my sheep? Will you walk with my lambs? Will you do that from a place in your heart of a servant? So when we talk about spiritual parenting and we talk about the realities of what it means to grow and to take responsibility for one another in our journey with Jesus. This is what we're being invited to. Cultivating character, learning how in our lives to submit to the way of God, and sacrificing our own personal desires. When we talk about oikos and family, that's what it means to be family together. Not not super glamorous in the ways that we would like to paint the picture from the world. But can I just tell you, it's the most fulfilling place to live our lives from. Because it means that we're willing to joyfully submit ourselves to one another in the journey that God's taking us in. I want to pray over us this morning as we think about this. Man, it's pretty, pretty quiet in here in this moment. Maybe to tell a joke or something. But I sense that the Holy Spirit's doing a little bit of work inside of us in drawing us into this place of a cleaner and clearer understanding of what the kingdom of God and the family of God is all about. And why it's important for each one of us not only to have spiritual parenting in our life, but to begin to take on the role of spiritual parenting of walking with others into these places of growth in their lives. So Father, we thank you for just the beauty of your word, God. Lord Jesus, I thank you for setting such a clear example for us to follow in when it comes to this idea, this thought of being family together. And Lord, this this understanding, Lord, that spiritual parenting is far more than just telling people what to do. It's, It's opening up our lives to invite others in Lord, that they would experience and see, God, the amazing work that you've done in us. And Lord, that they would learn how to live in that in themselves. And Lord, each one of us are both in the spaces of, of learning what it is to have spiritual parenting in our lives, God, and to reproduce from our lives spiritual parenting in the lives of the people that are around us. But God, as a family on mission, Lord, we just recognize how much we need that in our lives. And so, Lord, I just pray today, Lord, as a church family, Lord, that we would, we would lean into the work that you're doing in us, God, in building a culture, Lord that is oriented around your family and your kingdom. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, even with some of the things that conflict, God, with our our American culture, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, how to prioritize the kingdom of God, Lord, over maybe the traditional ways that we've grown and learned. And Father, we just invite you to come and do this work in us, Lord, as we follow after you. Jesus, we thank you for your incredible love for us and your goodness to us. Lord, we pray that this word today, God, would just reside in our hearts. And Lord, that you would transform us, God, into the image of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this message. Do you know someone who'd be blessed by it? Make sure to share it with them this week.